It's good to be with you all. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. This is my charge and our hope. And so would the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable and pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Amen? Amen? That's better. Okay. Friends, I've got a puzzle for you this morning. Okay? You ready for it? Turn with me in the Holy Scriptures to the Gospel according to John. Chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. If you need a Bible, there are some Bibles in some of the chair backs in front of you, and we'd love for you to keep that if you need it. In those Bibles, this is on page 888. That's John 3, 16 through 17. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Now flip a few pages forward to John 13, 34 through 35. That's page 900 in the Pew Bible. John 13, 34 through 35. Jesus said, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. What did you hear? God loves the world enough to give himself to save it, and we who would be saved must then love with him. Okay, now let's turn to 1 John, which is what we're preaching out of today. The first pastoral letter to John, that's going to be 10, page 1021 in your pew Bible. That's 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2, verse 7. Beloved, I'm writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you've heard from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard, a.k.a. God loves the world, so love one another. But then the apostle goes on to verse 15, verses 15 through 17. Beloved, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride in possessions is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. Hmm. Okay, so God the Father loved the world, but if we love the world... His love isn't in us, but we need to love one another so that his love is in us, but not the world. I'm confused, right? 
What does that mean? That's a great question. It's disorienting a little bit, isn't it? Do this, not that, not that, this. This isn't that, this is this. At least I can feel that way, okay? <laughs> so if you feel that way, you're not alone. How do we get oriented here? Where do we look with our eyes to go forward in this? That's what we're going to talk about today. You know, a few years ago, Elizabeth and I took a backpacking trip with her family. And through forest and pasture over mountains rising up from the sea, there was stunning things to see. So much to catch our attention, and yet we had to make sure we were still going on the path, right? Steep inclines, sheer cliffs, narrow strips in between. And so as much as we needed to pay attention to our footing in our surroundings and feel out the difference as to where steps are and various things, you know, the best way to keep ourselves from stumbling is to keep our eyes forward on the path. Studying cliffs may help you avoid them, but it won't help you find your way. Keeping our eyes on the path will help us find our way and avoid the cliffs. And I want to take a similar approach to this puzzle. It is right to understand what is the world, what differentiates it from one another, from us, what are the qualities of love, what makes it love, what doesn't make it love. But a focus on trying to parse out the world and its lusts will not make you love your neighbor any more than avoiding cliffs will help And we need to love one another. That's the commandment. That's how we avoid loving the world. And this answer is one that's going to be best worked out in practice. Okay. So before we get into some of those orienting practices of love, how do we love one another, I do want to try to shine some light on this passage. The word agape in cosmos, right? Love and world. They're used a lot. They can mean a lot. They have similarly large semantic ranges as they do in English, right? You can love your mother. You can love cream, right? And you know what I mean. Similarly, these words can mean quite a bit. So how do we think of love here? Agape is the same word that's used in most other places in the New Testament for love. And it doesn't mean something categorically different when applied to the world here. Or as God, or neighbors, or enemies, or brothers, or sisters. In, in some point, for a way to consider love, I'm going to call it a, a triangulation of attention, affection, and action. Attention, affection, and action. That's how we love things, right? And what John is saying here is do not give undue affection and attention and action to the world. For such things will corrupt our loves into lusts. Well, why? What is the world? Well, here's, here's what it's not. Okay? 
The world is not people. It's not groups of people or kinds of people or those people or whomever else one might think about if one is tempted to think of the world as people. It's not anyone, but it is something. It's something, but it's not everything, right? It's not the earth or creation or material things or matter or secular things. The world is not persons or things, but it is a place. Persons, place, and things. Not persons, not things, place. It is the place that we inhabit. It is our context. It affects and infects everything within it. Perhaps one could call the world current order of things. An order that is corrupted by sin like a virus and ruled by Satan like a parasite. It is totally depraved. That's what we mean. Everything within it is corrupted so that this order is actually a disorder. It disorders creation from its created goodness and truth and beauty because it misorients it from its creator. Away from God, life is death, light is darkness, love is hatred and lust. That's what we mean by the world. The disordered order of things. And John makes that connection with this text, right? With verse 16 after verse 15. Let me read an adapted translation from a brother, Richard Yarbo, which I found helpful. Do not set your affection on the world, nor on things belonging to the world. For whoever sets his affection on the world forfeits the love of the Father, inasmuch as everything that belongs to the world, what the body hankers for and the eyes itch to see, and what we just toil to gain. They're not from the Father, but from the world. These are the things in the world of verse 15, the desires, the lusts, the he epithemia of verse 16. Notice that these are not things that are just uniquely indigenous to the world apart from creation. Right? Our bodies were created, our eyes were created, we were made to work. These are corruptions of goodness. When we devote our attention, our affection, our actions intentionally or unintentionally, individually or collectively toward desires guided by the world, that is when we let the whispers, God didn't say that. He doesn't care about you. He isn't real. He doesn't want what's best for you. You can live forever. You could make a name for yourself. Forget everyone else or get rid of them and you'll finally be happy. Don't worry about what will happen. Just do it. Take it. You want it. Take it. When these direct our loves, they become lusts, desires of grasping instead of giving that take. And the love of God has no place in them 
or for them. Now, as much as we may see this, right, that the world is this ordered order of things, the puzzle comes when we try to discern in our daily lives, like, what is loving the world and what is loving our neighbor, right, or loving one another. Because we all live in the world. If everything is infected and influenced by the world as we are, then it can make it sometimes difficult to discern, right? Sometimes we feel like we don't know how to discern. Sometimes we feel like we don't want to discern. We don't want to discern because it may turn eyes on us. For example, I could come up here and discuss whether our relatives or the people around us are too worldly to be of any help, right? Or we could talk about whether our bank accounts are too worldly to be of any help. Culture, the thing outside, is sometimes a lot easier maybe to talk about than, say, uh, money. What are our responses if I brought up something like money instead of the thing that the world is doing? Because Jesus calls the money the world. Well, how much money can I make without making it an idol? Are you saying money is bad? How am I supposed to not care about money if I need to care for my family? Well, we can't just give it away. That would be irresponsible. And the like, right? There can be a defensiveness that comes when things are pointed out to us. And how does Jesus speak to that? Turn with me to Luke's Gospel. Chapter 10, verse 25. That's page 869 of your Pew Bible. Luke 10, 25 through 37. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put Jesus to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And the lawyer answered him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said to him, You've answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But the lawyer, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, Well, and who is my neighbor? Y'all, don't ask Jesus that question, okay? Because here's what you're going to get. Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers, who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now, by chance, a priest was going down the road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. And so likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place, saw him. He passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, that is someone we do not who is defined by impurity, 
as he journeyed, came to where the man was, and he saw him and had compassion. And he went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, and put him on his own animal, and brought him to an inn, and gave him to the innkeeper, saying, take care of him. And whatever you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Now, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among robbers? And the lawyer said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. Go and do likewise. The way to discern is to have mercy on the one whom God puts before you. To surrender from ourselves whatever we have for whomever they may be. If we focus merely on asking questions about boundaries and seeking to avoid the contaminations of the world, we will stumble in the way. But if we fix our eyes on God and those whom he has put before us to love, we will not only avoid stumbling, but we will find our way home. This may be counterintuitive and messy, and it is. Jesus is. And yet he's the one who guides us and he calls us to work it out in practice. The practice of love in Jesus' name. So how to practice? How can we learn to love one another, our brothers, our sisters, our neighbors, our enemies, by means, and let that be the means of avoiding loving the world? Well, let's consider this. I mean, back in 1 John, I do want us to consider the context Verses 7 through 17 of chapter 2 could really be taken as a unit. It starts with the address, beloved. Abide in your belovedness. Remember who you are and whose you are and who is talking to you. Okay? The starting point of any commandment that God would give his people is first that they are his and he loves them. And therefore, he has good intentions for them and through them. John says as much later in chapter 4, 10 and 11. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he first loved us and sent his son to be a propitiation for our sins. If God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. Hey, you better do this or else is a very different command than, hey, baby, could you come please help daddy with this? Right? It is God's love for us that becomes his love through us. It is his power at work within us. That is why he calls us and confidence to work with him, right? Because I know, we need to point this out because I know sometimes these things can sound harsh. I have been and continue to be greatly challenged 
by the scriptures, by mentors in the faith, to cast off sins and weights that I might run toward Jesus, right? And I need that encouragement because some of those weights don't seem that bad, and some of those sins seem really good, right? But they get in the way. And as your pastor, I want to do the same thing for you. I hope to challenge you, to warn you, to even ruffle your feathers a little bit, right? Because I want to call you out of complacency, of comfort, of conformity to the patterns of this world, your income, your isolation and indulgence, bourgeois religion and every hypocrisy, things that are a little less easy to see and a little too close for home. Because I'm called to, because you're called to, because God loves you and he wants to love through you. The context of every challenge and command is God's never-ending, never-giving-up, unstopping, always-and-forever love. Look to him. Fix your eyes on him. Those who look to him are radiant, and their faces are not put to shame. And it's in that unashamedness that we can begin to abide and obey some harsh commands. But the love of God is not only foundational, right? It's an orienting point, right? Because the command to love one another is always coupled with the command to love God. I mean, earlier in 1 John chapter 2, verse 3, the apostle writes, and by this we know that we have come to know him, that we keep his commandments. And then chapter 3, 23, and this is the commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and that we love one another, just as he commanded us. Obedience to Jesus Christ in his way is critically necessary for our ability to love one another. We cannot give what he has not given us to give, give us permission to give, and we cannot withhold that which he has instructed us to give. He is our master, he is our anchor in the veil. He is our north to our compass. He is the sun in the sky. We love in his name and by his authority. And so how do we fix our eyes on him? Right? Where do we see him? I hope in every scripture just to encourage us to please read your Bibles. Read your Bibles together. Listen to your Bibles. Hear them. Get an app. Get a Bible. Get a group. We need to let the word soak into us. And there is much, to, we need to encourage one another to enjoy it. Because sometimes you think it's boring, and it's okay to admit that, right? But we need to encourage one another. God cannot speak to us if we're not listening. But where else, where, how do we go to find him? I know I'm flipping you around a lot, but as I said, I want you to read your Bible. So turn with me to Matthew, the Gospel to Matthew, chapter 25. It's going to be page 831 in your pew Bible. That's Matthew 25, starting in verse 31. When the Son of Man, this is Jesus, come, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glory. 
and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates sheep from goats. And he will place the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the say to those on his right, you who are blessed from the foundation of the world, Food, I drink, it's going on and off. Is this okay? Is this going on and off like this? Is it better if I just, should I take it off? Okay, we're just gonna, you're gonna let that hang and we're gonna keep going, okay? I'm gonna raise my voice here. Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared from you for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. And then the righteous will answer him. Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, truly I say to you, as you did to the least of these my brothers, you did it to me. And then he will say to those on his left, depart from me. You cursed from eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me. I was naked, and you did not clothe me. I was in sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. And they will also answer, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? And then he will answer them, saying, truly, I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of my brothers, you did not do it to me. And these will go into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. We will all see the Lord Jesus face to face, and he will tell us when we saw him or when we did not see him. We will see him in those in need. In other words, in order to obey God's command to love one another and believe in him, we need other people to love. We need to find them, receive them, Keep them. Be with them. Love requires another. Brothers, neighbors, enemies. Love requires a relationship enough to know their needs, to bear their burdens, directly or indirectly. Love requires supplying those needs from ourselves. The apostle writes later on in this letter, 
By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or in talk, but in word or deed and truth. And not only our brothers biologically or in faith, but the Lord Jesus in, Ma- in the gospel of Matthew on the Sermon on the Mount says, you have heard that it was said you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his son to rise on the evil and the good. He sends rain on the just and the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than anyone else? Do not the Gentiles do the same thing? You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. And later he says to one giving a banquet, when you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or your rich neighbors, lest they also invite you and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor and the crippled and the lame and the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. For for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. God wants to repay you. Loving as Christ loves us is loving sacrificially. Lust, disordered loves of the world, sacrifice others for our sake. To consume them. But the love of God sacrifices for another. On behalf of another. And you know what? In the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we see also that it restores that which is sacrificed. You will be repaid. You will be repaid the sacrificial expenses of Christian love. Some of you need to hear that because you are already tired and you feel spent. Your children or your parents are sick and suffering. Your neighbors are sick and suffering. You have literally brought the needy into your home. You are teaching kids or inviting friends into your homes and to church and you want to witness, but you just feel so increasingly insufficient to answer every need. God sees you. He loves you. And he loves them that he's bringing to you. Let us not grow weary in doing good. For he will repay you. Some of you need to hear this because you are afraid. You're afraid to let go of what you want, what you're attracted to, what you're attached to, what you've earned. And I get that. 
You're afraid of getting it wrong. Aren't we all? You're afraid of enabling or embedding sin, of hurting instead of helping. God sees you. He gets it. Jesus was accused of being a glutton and a drunkard because he was a friend of sinners. And he had no place to rest his head except with them. But he conquered sin and grave through his sacrificial love and ascended into glory to go before you to prepare a place for you. A place that wherever you gave up in this life, you may receive 30, 60, and 100 fold. He would not have told you if it were not true. Do not be afraid, he says. He will repay you. So spend freely. And some of you need to hear this because you just need the encouragement to fan the flame within you. There's a spark in you to do good, to bear witness. You just don't know how or when or with what. It's overwhelming. Pray, breathe, and try something. Invite the classmate or the neighbor. Host the meal you're thinking about. Sign up to help at the event you're thinking about. Go and talk to the person that you're thinking about. You feel like you don't know what you're doing. That is okay. You don't know what you're doing. Fumble and try. God knows what he is doing. And he is at work within you. Invest he will give you the return. He will repay you. And in conclusion, verse 17, the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. The world is passing away. We are on the way to eternity. Do not linger fixated on the things that are passing by. Lusts do not last, passions pass by, but love endures forever. Jesus said, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where no moth or rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. We lay up treasures in heaven by giving up ours here on earth. By investing them into loving one another. It might feel like death. Jesus said, whoever would seek to save his life will lose it. But whoever would seek to lose his life for my sake will find it. And you know how you don't love the world? By giving up your stuff. <laughs> to love those who are in front of you and devote it to their good. It's messy. It's precarious. But fix your eyes on what lies ahead. To the eternal that is not passing away. To Christ who loved you and gave himself for you. Amen?
Amen.